at the school level, how do you get a high-performing school? Well, if, if you really – if you boil it down to the most basic ingredients, any – I'd argue any school that's kicking butt anywhere around the country, around the world has got two basic ingredients. They got great teaching and more of it. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today we're continuing our discussion on opening great new schools. Opening about 10,000 new schools has probably been the most important development in the last two decades in American education. New schools help boost U.S. graduation rates and college enrollment rates. About a quarter of those new schools were supported by charter management organizations like KIPP. Another quarter were supported by nonprofit school developers like New Tech Network. They have partnered with districts around the country to open about 200 great new schools. These organizations and their funders have learned a ton about opening great new schools. Awesome. So to address the super challenge of opening great schools, we learned from the best 20 people that have been involved in opening thousands of schools across the nation. We talked to superintendents from big districts like Houston and Las Vegas and from small districts experimenting with micro schools. We also talked to school development organizations and the best charter management organizations in the world. Uh, The first guy that I called on this journey was Mike Feinberg. Mike is one of the co-founders of KIPP, uh, the well-known charter network. It's now a national network of 183 schools. They educate over 70,000 students. Mike is really one of the best experts in the country on new school development Uh, Their particular focus is on leadership development. They really sweat having a great leader in place before they open a school. And they have some basic design principles, but they give that leader lots of room uh, to really create a school that fits their local community. So uh, Mike and I will cover all the lessons that we learned from all 20 leaders, but with a, a particular focus on KIPP. Right on. So here's Tom and Mike's interview. Mike, it's great to have you on the Getting Smart podcast. Thanks, Tom. Great to be on the podcast. Uh, Mike, we talked to 20 experts, and we started with you on this topic of opening great new schools, and we'd love to discuss some of your input and others. And uh, we're going to start with the first piece of advice on starting early. Our friend Scott Benson, uh, former Gates Foundation, now New School uh, Program Officer, said, start early. Give yourself lots of time to explore, design, seek feedback, build support. Uh, Does that sound like good advice to you? Absolutely. I mean, I think when when I think back to the history of KIPP over the last 22 years, I think one thing that set us up for success was before we became a school, we were a program for a whole year. So we were basically getting a chance to test out our theories and how we wanted to set this up as a fifth grade program before the next year that fifth grade program became a fifth grade school. We basically had a whole year of runway of live time working on what we wanted to see happen before we started. And when we started, we started with one grade, fifth grade, and grew it one year at a time till after four years, it was fifth to eighth grade. So we also didn't try to, we started early and we started small and built out from there. That's interesting. There, there are a lot of people um, nowadays thinking about micro schools and talking about prototyping and pop-up, you know, to try out your instructional strategies. But you guys sort of figured that out uh, before it was cool. Blind squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> That's a great idea. So uh, even prototyping, uh, starting as a program, I think about um, our friends at Houston A-plus started that uh, 
up program as a little micro school, you know, tried it out for a, a couple of years before they petitioned to become a, a charter network. So that's a, it's a great idea. Hey, yeah. Shout out to A plus up. I can't wait to see them open up as, as they're at a charter next year. It's going to be an exciting new addition to Houston. When, when I think about new schools at KIPP, I think about leadership. I mean, you guys are really tight on leadership. You won't open a building without a great new leader. Why is that so important to you? I think it's because it, it, it goes back to the basic theory of why we believe in schools in that reform in the first place. We don't. We, we all know that programs are only as good as the people that are using those programs. And so at the, at the school level, how do you get a high-performing school? Well, if, if you really... If you boil it down to the most basic ingredients, any I'd argue any school that's kicking butt anywhere around the country, around the world, has got two basic ingredients. They got great teaching and more of it. Pretty simple. Easy to say. It's hard to do for all the educators listening, but it's a simple recipe. And if there is any secret sauce you want to add to that, it's how do you get the culture right so that great teaching and more of it can happen and can flourish? How do you get the parents on board, the teachers on board? The students on board, how do you find and keep great teachers and great culture comes from great leadership. So if great teaching and more of it are the key ingredients, then the, the great school leader, that great principal, is, is part of that critical path to make it happen. So that's why we started with the leader. Let's talk about culture for a minute. Mike, you and others said that getting the culture right is the most important variable in opening a great new school. Uh, you said great teaching and learning is built on a foundation of great culture. Uh, talk a little bit about how you create a great culture before and after school opens. Before school opens, you create the, the culture by making sure you define what it is. Reverse engineer this with the end in mind. It starts with one of the core beliefs that are going to go into that school. Those core beliefs are going to be turned into what values the school has. And you're going to see, hear, smell, taste, and touch the values through what operating norms and standards you have. Once you know that, then you're going to, you know, hire the founding faculty and staff off of who, who aligns with those core beliefs, values, operating norms, and, and fits that culture. And then once you, once you hire those folks, you're going to then also make sure you get on the same page with how you level set everyone around that. And you get on the same page with how you're going to then teach it to the children and their parents that, that are coming in as well. So that's, that's all part of what happens before school starts. Once the school starts, you're actually going to then, uh, the key word there is execute. Whatever you said and plan you were going to do with you and the faculty, you actually do it with fidelity. And that, might, that doesn't mean it's automatically going to work, but you execute with fidelity to make sure that uh, that's not a variable. And if things are not working, you know, it's, it's not because you haven't been trying to make them work. It's because just it, it wasn't a good idea. And then you go back to the drawing board and try something else. I want to come back to execution because uh, that is so important. Um, but in terms of getting everybody on the same page, you said it was important to have a short and sweet vision and mission that's easy for everybody to understand. Why is that so important? If you get it, if you're going to have the culture that's going to permeate beyond the school founder's brain into the rest of the faculty and into the kids and parents, and so everyone wants to be there and understands why they're there and understands their role, certainly they should feel ownership as well in the vision and mission of the school. And if the vision mission is a paragraph long esoteric essay of some sort, it's going to be hard for anyone to feel ownership, let alone understand 
why they're there and what it is. So I, I'm, I'm a big believer in keep it simple, stupid. It, it, does, it doesn't mean it can't have a very profound vision and mission and, and transformative impact you're trying to do, but how do you explain it in a elevator ride that is, that's, let's say, going to the fourth floor, not the 118th floor? Mike, we got some great advice from your friend Aaron Brenner. Uh, Aaron opened your, your first elementary school, and now he's opening schools around the world through the One World Network of Schools. He said, teaching and learning the value should be intentional, explicit, and full of joy. Building on cultural alignment, leadership and teachers should plan lessons that teach the values in an explicit, intentional, and joyful way. So I, I love that statement, and, and for me... It made clear that we're not, when we talk about culture, we're not just talking about a behavior code. We're talking about something that really permeates everything about the school. That's right. I mean, if you look at the culture of KIPP, for example, and, you know, and Aaron's trying to help people learn the culture of KIPP so they can tweak it to their own model and what, what fits for them in their country. You go all the way back to one of the core beliefs at KIPP is that we talk about how we're a team and a family. That's not a, that's not a, behavior code, right? Uh, it's not like a contractual thing. It, it's not a, it's not an expectation. It's just, it, it's ex- trying to explain who we are and, and the, the cult and, and explain the, the culture we're trying to create. In some ways it's team, in other ways it's family. And it's the, it's the, it's the joy of both, which, which is, uh, we all think back to our annual experiences around the, the Thanksgiving table with family. There's always love. <laughs> There's always a little bit of drama too. So that, that team and family culture is, is a good example of what we're trying to create, where people understand this is a commitment we're making to one another, well beyond one grade and well beyond a few grades, but this, this is a long-term commitment we're making to one another. So let's talk about putting that family together and, and talk about hiring and onboarding. Our, our friend uh, Terry Greer, the former superintendent there in Houston, said about onboarding, spend quality time onboarding everybody, not just new teachers, everybody, emphasizing high expectations and whatever it takes culture. Do you, you buy that? Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think Terry learned over time that you don't hire someone and uh, onboarding means you put out the press release, which he learned was a bad habit. But you, you, you do that but by intentionally building relationships with everyone who comes in with their, their teammates who are on their level, the people they're managing, the people who manage them. It's got to be intentional. And it's, that's not a, it's not a one-hour session. It's not a two-hour session. It's not like a one-day thing. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process that you build over time. How many new people do you want in a, in a building? Or, or maybe conversely, how many people should have really taught in and, and fully experienced the KIPP culture before opening a new building? I don't know what the upper boundaries are. It's a good question what the upper boundaries are. You certainly don't want, when you think about just an org structure, you want to have a, the leader needs to have, you know, single digit number of direct reports, not just from a org chart management accountability perspective, but also from that perspective of how do you, in an ongoing way, teach the culture um, and get everyone on the same page. And so that's why we try to start most of our schools with one, maybe two grades. So you're talking with a school leader who's hiring, you know, there's an office manager and maybe someone in the front office and there's 10 to 12 teachers. Then you try to grow a grade level a year and add another, you know, five teachers or so. And some of your original, you know, hopefully one or two of those founding teachers are very familiar as well. And they, they take on a shared leadership role. So it's all not falling on the school leader and you build it up from there. 
So opening a new school is uh, crazy complicated, right? It includes real estate and marketing and food and construction and lots of stuff that most educators don't have any background in. That's right. Right. So it's a big, complicated project. How, how do you think about managing all of that? Well, uh, it, you know, in the early years of starting more KIPP schools, that's why we created the Fisher Fellowship. So there was a one-year runway where our, we were recruiting great teachers to be school founders, and we gave them a whole year to really study the art of leadership and entrepreneurship and give them plenty of time to also figure out how to be bus coordinator and custodian and food service manager and, you know, and social worker and everything else they're doing in the startup phase. Over time, we realized that that's, you're, at some point it, it's – you're almost like you're basically searching for such a fantastic person who can do a jack of all trades or basically be Jesus that you, we, we better make this job still as it's never going to make it easy, but make it easier. And so that's, that's when we kind of went to the regional structure where, you know, let, let's take the things that we're not passionate about, but that absolutely need to still happen well off the play of the school leader. Let's, you know, they, they don't need to become experts on transportation and food and insurance. And if we can do those at a regional level, then the school leader can truly be that instructional leader on campus and the, and the guardian of the, of the bear of the culture and can teach the culture to everyone. Uh, let's come back to this topic of execution. Uh, you, you said that it's the countless seen and unseen details that are the difference between mediocre and magnificent. Yep, that's a, that's a popular kipism. You know, the ex- at the end of the day, we learned this from Professor Nancy Yuski, who's a, a professor at the Haas School of Business at Berkeley in organizational culture behavior. And she taught us that of all the studies that have been done of why organizations fail, you know, when the autopsy is done, the, the number one reason why organizations fail is not because they ran out of money. It's not because they had the wrong people. It's not even that they had a flawed strategy. It's that when the autopsy is done and you look at what the organization said it was going to do on paper and what the organization actually did, they don't match up. But the organization simply didn't execute on what they said they were going to do. And so when we learned that, when myself and all the other Fisher fellows at KIPP learned that lesson, we realized that execute had to be a very popular verb going through our brains at all times. It doesn't mean you always have the right plan, but again, execute with fidelity, and that's how you know if you're on track or not. So let's make this more complicated. It's been fun for me to watch you guys innovate in the last five years. And you, you've really got some terrific blended learning and personalized learning people on the on your national team now. And I, I know you have some in, in Houston. And so it for me, it brings up this question of improvement versus innovation, right? If improvement is usually executing what you do very well in every classroom every day. Innovation is trying things differently, hoping for a step function improvement. And we have seen you guys use New School Development as, a, as an innovation lab, an opportunity to try new things. But how do you think about the balance between improvement and innovation? Just by exactly what you said, by thinking about it as a balance. Another popular kipism is when faced with the either or, choose the and. And so when, when faced with the, are you going to just take what you're doing today and keep working it and working, working to make it better? Or do you look for a whole new way to tackle an issue or problem and make things better? At the end of the day, it's both. And that can happen within a system of schools like KIPP pretty easily because we now have a big footprint. And as you're starting new schools, you can try new things. It can happen within a single school. The, the, the teachers listening out there know this can happen within a single classroom. 
you know, is that there, you always kind of want to balance doing what you know works and continue to tweak it and make it a little bit better. And having the, it's, it's, it's balancing that confidence and humility, the confidence that you know what you're doing with the humility that you haven't found the, the perfect way to do things. So you got to keep tinkering around without throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but looking for better ways as well. So both Scott Benson and Alex Hernandez from the Charter Growth Fund uh, talked about managing innovation. Uh, Scott talked about phasing it in, you know, over, as you are, are adding uh, grade levels. Alex talked about uh, a process to manage innovation, added that uh, it's easy for innovation to stop once the kids show up just because it's so overwhelming just to manage a school full of, of high-need kids. So do you, do you buy that phase innovation in, or would you, in a new school, throw in a, a whole bunch of innovations uh, and, and then grow it in size? What, what's your take I think, again, keeping things in balance means you got to always be careful. You're, you're, you're not biting off more than you can chew. With that said, you got, there's, also, there's a little bit of a paradox in there. To some extent, managing innovation is a paradox in and of itself. Innovation, in its pure sense, doesn't want to be managed. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in that you can't manage and you can't like force innovation top down. You can't say, all right, uh, starting next year, we're now going to innovate doesn't work that way. You got to take the power that gets that that happens at the top of the organization and use it to free up bottom up solutions and innovation and let there be space for innovation to happen in an unbridled way and with with guardrails so that you know innovation is going to be messy and when things don't work out the when when it crashes and burns it's a minor crash it's not going to impact the entire year's worth of results or you know, blow up the school. But you, I think you got to let it happen bottom up. Yeah, which is an interesting new mindset for KIPP leaders that have been historically super focused on execution, right? You guys have done that really, really well. But to create space, permission, support for innovation feels new and different, right? Kind of. I mean, although, remember, KIPP never, we, we've never ha- had a curriculum. We've never had, um, you know, textbooks or like a like a scope and sequence saying if you're going to open up a kip school this is how you do it we've had our five pillars of more time on task choice and commitment as a public open enrollment school the power to lead where our school leaders our principals are school leaders with control over staff and budget high expectations focus on on uh, being successful in college and beyond and focus on results how those get dressed up um, until very recently we didn't put any guardrails on it so almost by definition, every school design plan, by definition, was baking in a lot of innovation because we, we, weren't, tell, we weren't telling them what they had to do, which, you know, too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. I think if anything, KIPP probably over 20 years has, has, gotten, has been a little bit loose because we let people run in infinite directions. And it's produced lots of overall great results. But uh, the 20-year fatigue of asking people to keep reinventing the wheel every year, I think, has, has uh, in a bottom-up way, has our people pushing us, uh, saying, we love the freedom to innovate, but why? But again, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Why are we starting from scratch every single time? Let's start to put the best practice together, what we know works, and if people want to find a better way, Go get them from there. And so that's what that's what we've been doing now the last few years. Across your whole network, more time is a is a big deal. More instructional time every day, every week, every year. Uh, you really try to make that a, a big part of every new school, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, time is, is the, is the most precious commodity you have in a classroom or a school. Um, and it's the ultimate answer to how you turn the either or into an end. The fact that you've got time to just do what works uh, and keep doing what you did last week and last year. You have time to take what you did last week or last year and, and tweak it a little bit to make it even better. And you have time to try whole new things. And the other way to think about it is you also have time, more time for math and reading without sacrificing science, history, fine arts, athletics, and everything else to create the joy. Time just gives you the resources to try all that and, and be able to fit it all in and not be under pressure. So more time, as far as I'm concerned, is a pressure release, not, a, not, not, not adding any pressure to the school. So if you're opening a new school of choice, you're really trying to create a new brand, trying to create a, a set of relationships, trying to build a, a community. And our friend Terry Greer had another great tip on this point. He said, ask teachers to identify three things they like about working in their school and have them share those three things with 10 people prior to the beginning of the, of the school year. So he, he's promoting sort of word of mouth from, uh, uh, from the, the teachers. What, what other tips do you have for, for new principals that are trying to create a, a school, maybe in a community that they might be new to? I think that's an excellent idea that, that Terry gave, and I would add to it, we're also a big proponents of home visits, which allows you to get out there in the community in the deepest possible way. Um, you know, certainly don't expect, set up like an info night, you know, Thursday at seven o'clock, expect everyone to come to you getting into the community we got to do and beyond just trying to get in at the community centers and the libraries and the, and the weekend sports carnival, whatever's going on. It's actually start to get in, in the home, sit, sit down. The best way to learn a community is to, as I've learned is to sit on the couch in someone's house or apartment or around the kitchen table and listen, listen to the family, explain their hopes, dreams, aspirations, what they like about their past school, what they didn't like, what they're looking for. And then, you know, that family will connect you to more families. We found that once you knock on a door, uh, there's, it's not necessarily, I can't say it's just like Jerry Maguire, you have them at hello, but it's very close because families very much appreciate educators who are breaking down the boundaries between school and home and are taking a true, true interest, not just in words, but in actions. That brand spreads. Um, and, and people will quickly talk about the, the, edu- the teachers are making a, 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 a increased interest in, in the lives of the children in the community. That's great advice. Uh, let's close with some, some thoughts on uh, just the, the personal strain that this takes on a, a school leader as they go through that 90-day countdown before opening, maybe that first 90 days. You know, this is super stressful. It's really tough work. Any any thoughts on uh, how to handle that? As one thing I know that Aaron suggested to you, talked about is the joy factor. There's, there's got to be joy. First off, there's got to be joy. Yeah. There's got to be the, the, the kids have to have joy. The teachers have to have joy. And that school leader, the school founder has to have joy as well. If it's not fun, what are you doing? Right. And this, not supposed, this should not be a torturous exercise. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but there's got to be fun. And if it, if you're going to, if as difficult as a school startup work is, what are the releases? Everyone should be very aware of their own personal tipping point where things start to get overly stressful and tense. 
and they're not going to be at their best. And everyone should be aware of what are the releases that they need to do, whether it's sports or reading or favorite, you know, watching their, their favorite TV shows, whatever it takes to just unwind and have some fun with family and friends, make sure you build in time for that as well. And from there, once you're doing the work, just remember, you got to balance a sense of urgency with a view of the long game. You know, every day is precious time to help close the achievement gap and help your kids uh, leave every day a little bit closer to the end goal of mission vision than they were at the beginning of the day. At the same time, it, t- it took me as a young leader a few years to learn this lesson. That doesn't mean that every day is make or break, do or die, you know, you're, you, like the, the battle that's going to win every single war. And you realize that not every day is going to go perfectly. And you got, and that doesn't mean you're okay with it in terms of doing nothing. You, sh- you should address when things are going wrong. But it means you're okay with it in terms of realizing that losing the battle is okay if you're still aiming at winning the war. And, that, and you got to have that long, long-term view as well. Thanks so much to Mike Feinberg for joining us today. And for more on this topic of new schools, listen to Designing Beautiful Places for Learning with Victoria Bergsoggle and An Ambitious Plan to Make the Nation Proud of Its Public Schools, which is a chat with the leadership team at New Tech Network. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Tom. And this is Kat, signing off.